Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Good morning, my name is Tim. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad you're here with us uh, this morning. And before I jump into our text for this morning, just a quick reminder. Uh, this evening at 4.30 we'll have uh, a gather update uh, meeting to talk about um, some of the Garden Church, which Kevin spoke to, as well as where we're at in uh, thinking about residency program, as well as, as where we're at with the building um, changes here. So we'd love to see you tonight. 4.30 child care is uh, provided. So I'm going to pray and then jump into that text. Father, we thank you that you are merciful. So you call us to be like you, merciful. Uh, And so we open your word now that we might be like you, our Father. And we pray these things in in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I'm giving my fourth sermon on only one sermon of Jesus. Jesus. Which means it's taken me at least four times to explain what Jesus said once. And I'll let you judge whether that's a success or a failure. Uh, But Jesus in this sermon, as I've, I've pointed out, is addressing the fundamental questions every teacher addresses. Who is well off? Who are the lucky ones among us? Who has the good life? Who is a good person? And how do you become a good person? And so we're in the middle of Jesus addressing that that second question. Who is a good person? And last week I pointed out Jesus says something a little surprising on that front. He says a good person loves their enemies. And that is his founding vision for our community as a church. We are to be a community that loves our enemies. And this week, uh, we'll continue to press into how he addresses the question, who is a good person? With, with four short commands Jesus gives as he paints a vision of what a good person is. Do not judge. Do not condemn. But forgive and give. A good person does not spend their life in judgments, Condemning others, but is a person of forgiveness and generosity. That's Jesus' vision for our community, our church. That we are a non-judgmental community of forgiveness and generosity. And that raises a lot of questions and I'll only take time to address two. The same two I basically addressed last week, which is, well, how do we become a community or a non-judgmental community of generosity and forgiveness. And secondly, why should we? Uh, so how do we do it and why, why should we do it? Um, so how do we become a non-judgmental community of forgiveness and generosity? And now Bible memorization is not as popular as it once was, but I am confident that everyone in our culture has memorized Luke 6.37. Do not judge. We got that one down. Uh, The question is, do we actually know what Jesus meant in this verse? 
that he clearly did not mean never make a judgment about another person. Because we just finished the whole teaching where Jesus said, love your enemies, which, as I pointed out last week, requires identifying who your enemies are. You have to make judgments about who's an enemy and who's a friend. So Jesus is not saying don't ever make judgments. But also in, in the text we'll be in this morning, Jesus says you need to see when a brother or a sister has a speck in their eye and you need to make a judgment about how to remove the speck from their eye. So he's not saying don't ever point out a flaw or sin in someone else's life. Don't ever have a conversation about what's broken in someone else. So Jesus is not saying to his disciples, listen, just say to the world, uh, you do you, I can't judge. It's not what he's saying. So what is he saying? And I think that's why Jesus stacks these four commands on top of one another. Because the four of them together paint a vision of a good person. They don't judge. They don't condemn. But they're known for forgiveness and what they give. And my best way of putting that, what I'm saying this morning, is that that adds up to a non-judgmental community known for its forgiveness and generosity. Even as we are called to make judgments about the world in which we live. That's what Jesus means. A non-judgmental community of forgiveness and generosity. If that's what he means, I submit to you, we might have a problem. In 2007, the Barna Group released a study where they researched how Americans view Christians. Especially how non-Christians view Christians. And they wanted to know, what, what is the view of America to Christians? And what words would non-Christians use to describe Christians? And the second most common word used to describe Christians by non-Christians, with 87% of non-Christians describing Christians with this word, that word was judgmental. 87% of non-Christians believe Christians to be judgmental. Mr. Kinnaman wrote of that study, or David Kinnaman, the author of the book, wrote of that study, uh, nearly 90% of outsiders say that the term judgmental accurately describes Christians today. We are known much more for our criticism than for our love. In fact, Christians are more known for what they are against than what they are for. That stings. At least it should. And you might read that and think, well, hold on. Of course non-Christians would view us that way. We hold to the teachings of Jesus on marriage, on sexuality, on gender, on money. So, of course, they would find us judgmental. And there's a lot of truth in that argument. And I'll speak to that later in the sermon. As a Christian, I'm, I'm committed to the teachings of Jesus. And I'm well aware that the teachings of Jesus are found by this broader culture to be both morally regressive and judgmental. I'm aware of that. However... I still believe judgmentalism is a problem in the church. Because the Barna Group also found that it's not just non-Christians who view Christians as judgmental. Christians view Christians as judgmental. So 50% of Christians in their study 
used the word judgmental to describe their experience of the church. Half of us in this room look around this room and think, this is kind of a judgmental place. And that breaks my heart. Because it means non-Christians and half of Christians in our culture do not get to experience what Jesus wanted his church to be. A non-judgmental community of forgiveness and generosity. Instead, many of us experience the church as a place of grudges and gossip. Of harshness, where we ghost one another when we don't live up to our expectations. We judge quickly and negativity spills out of us with regularity. And so we're known today for church shopping, from jumping from church to church instead of engaging in conflict and working hard towards the difficult work of love and reconciliation. And I don't know about you, but at least for me, I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to be a good person, as Jesus defines it, who's non-judgmental, who forgives, and is generous. So how do you become that person? How can you become that person? Well, Jesus says a few things here that will help. I'll try to summarize them in, in three ways. The first is total surrender to our teacher. Now, I think we have to start with the question, do we even agree with Jesus on this point? When he says, don't be a judgmental person, do we actually agree with what he's saying there? That's his vision of the good life. Do we even agree with him? Do we even want to be a non-judgmental person? Because Jesus says something really important here in, in verse 40 of, of Luke 6. He says, uh, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And Ben Hamster, who read that text, he nailed it. And so great job, Ben. He he emphasized the like. That's perfect. You become like the person to whom you have a vision of the good life. So we all have a vision of what a good person is, who we want to be like. Those are the people that fill our podcast feeds, who we watch on TV, who we fill our TikTok feeds with, our YouTube queue, our Netflix queue. And the trouble is most of those platforms run on judgmentalism and negativity. And it's why I start with the question, do we even like what Jesus says here? Or would we rather lose ourselves into the negativity and judgmentalism of the culture and politics and moment in which we live? Who's training you into what you think is goodness and a good life? Who are you becoming like? So that's the first, do we even agree with Jesus? Because if we do, there's probably a lot of people we're listening to. It's time to stop listening to but say, say, if we even agree with Jesus, yes, I desire to be a non-judgmental, non-condemning present. Well, what next? Well, Jesus gives a helpful little parable here. He says, uh, a good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, will be poured into your life. And so Jesus is inviting you to consider, when you measure the lives of other people, what they are doing, how they live, what pours out of you, what runs over into their laps, is it judgment and condemnation? Is it forgiveness? Is it generosity? What spills out of you in your, your automatic reflexes of, of life? We have a, a soccer coming up in January here at, at Liberty. And, and every Saturday, um, when, when I've come the last couple of years, I always come with my, my cup of coffee in hand. 
Uh, Well, during a game last year, a ball perfectly struck my coffee in hands, and the cup went flying, and coffee sprayed everywhere. Coffee was in the cup, and now it was all over the wall and other people's shirts. Thankfully, my shirt was clean because I was the one holding the cup, and it sprayed elsewhere. And Jesus says, likely, when you get, when you get shaken up, what's, what's spraying out of you all over the place? <laughs> Is it harshness? Is it generosity? Is it judgment? Is it forgiveness? And I think for many of us, we have to say, well, that's, it's judgment. It's a lack of generosity towards other people. And again, I want to press you with the question, well, who taught you to live that way? Where have we learned to live in harshness and judgmental spirits? One answer is, well, we live in a consumer culture where the customer is always right. And so our culture has taught us to think, by all means, I must say what's on my mind. I'm an important person in this world. I'm the customer. The customer is always right. So I cannot hold back the brilliance and wisdom that I have for this world. And anyone who's worked in the service industry, you've experienced this. If you've worked as a waiter, waitress, barista, you've experienced people who will just say whatever they want. My favorite example of this is when my wife worked at Starbucks on the north side of Chicago while I was in seminary. She worked as a barista right up to being eight months pregnant. So she was very, very pregnant. Um, so one day she's working, and a woman comes up to order her drink, and she looks at my, pre- my pregnant wife and says, you're a big girl, aren't you? We laugh. Well, you didn't laugh. You groaned, and that was the right response. But how many of us, that is how, that's, we do that spiritually to people. Our words pass judgment with total freedom. We spray them around. And we've learned to judge and to speak in a way so counter to the way of Jesus. This vision of a non-judgmental life, we don't even know where to start. It feels impossible. Dallas Willard explains this reality, I think, pretty well when he wrote, Could we successfully negotiate personal relationships without letting people know what we disapprove of in them and find them to be in the wrong? Condemnation, giving it and receiving, is such a large part of normal human existence that we may not even be able to imagine or think what life would be like without it. But think about our teacher, Jesus. There's a moment in Jesus' life where he ends up at a well with a woman. A woman with a very sordid history, which was probably why she was at the well alone. She had experienced the judgment and shame and condemnation of her community. But Jesus asks her for help, for a drink. And then he says to her, you know, I have the kind of water, if you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. And offers her eternal salvation before he said anything about her life. And it's only after that gracious encounter does he gently name her history and her sin. But he does so with such hopefulness that the woman becomes a disciple and the first missionary in the Gospel of John. And if you read through the Gospels, you'll find Jesus repeatedly encountering unsavory figures that he had every right to judge. 
And yet we find they're attracted to him. They're drawn to him. And if what Jesus said is true, that the disciple, when fully trained, should be like his teacher, it should mean that if we are like our teacher, we should be attracting unsavory people into our lives, into our church. People with complicated histories, people with profound failures in their lives. And if we should find that we are not attracting those kinds of people, it might mean we have a different teacher than Jesus. And it might mean that we have a different message than he had. And so back to the original question. How do we become a non-judgmental community of forgiveness and generosity in the way of Jesus? Well, we have to surrender to our teacher. That's first. Second, we need radical self-awareness. Because Jesus says next, now listen, before you go dealing with the speck in your brother's eye, deal with the log in your face. And this is brilliant on the one hand, because I think Jesus is being humorous here. And again, Ben Hamster crushed the reading of this text. You laughed as he read this text. I think Jesus is being humorous here. But salvation begins by understanding, I have a log sticking out of my face. And Jesus is saying, is, is not saying, do not be judgmental. He's also pointing out that judgmental people are almost always combined with an incredible lack of self-awareness. They don't see the log sticking out of their face. And so this is why, this is why I believe many people view the church as a judgmental place. is because we don't believe we have logs in our faces. We think we are the heroes, the good ones of the society. It's all those losers out there ruining the culture. And if we just had power, it'd all go well once again. And Jesus, instead of saying to his disciples, you have logs sticking out of your faces. That he's saying you should be far more serious about what's wrong with you than with what you see wrong with anyone else. And if you've discovered a log in your face, and then you notice a speck in your brother's eye, are you going to judge him or her? Look down on them with a spirit of condescension or judgment? But the real question here for us is, well, do we believe we have logs in our face? Because if you are a Christian, that is what we are supposed to believe. That we are so deeply flawed that the only way to break out of our sinfulness, the only way to get the log out of my face, is for the Son of God to enter human history and die in my place. At best, I am someone who cost the life of Jesus. And if I believe that, there's no chance I could ever look on another person and think myself superior. So one reason why I think Jesus is, is saying this is that he believes we should take our own brokenness and sinfulness far more serious than we do other people's brokenness and sinfulness. I mean, that, that's just like theologically true, but there's another practical reason to this, one that C.S. Lewis names well. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, abstain from all thinking about other people's faults unless your duties as a teacher or a parent make it necessary. Whatever the thoughts come, or whenever the thoughts come unnecessarily into one's mind, why not simply shove them away and think of one's own faults instead? For there, with God's help, one can do something. Of all the awkward people in your house or job, there is only one whom you can approve very much. I mean, this is good practical advice. 
There are a lot of awkward people in your life, but you're the most awkward, and you're the only one you can deal with or do anything about. There's no guarantee when we point out the speck in a brother's eye that he's going to listen to us. My experience, he most likely won't. So you have no control over what other people do or whether other people want to become a good person, fully trained like Jesus. But you do have control over whether or not you want to be a good person, fully trained like Jesus. So how do we become a non-judgmental community of forgiveness and generosity? Well, total surrender to Jesus, our teacher. Radical self-awareness. I live with a log in my face. And then third, truth spoken in a tight-knit community of love. Uh, When I was growing up, I'd go over to my grandparents' house in uh, Hammond on Sheffield Avenue. Uh, That was the house my grandmother grew up in, so it was old, which meant the wood floors were not sanded the best. So if you went barefoot on those floors, you got a splinter. And my grandfather, either out of habit or humor, would grab the biggest knife he could find to take the splinter out of my foot. It was terrifying. But my grandfather was also right. I can't be walking around with like early 1900s wood in my foot. The splinter needs to come out, but maybe not with a knife that looks like a sword. So how how do you take a speck out of someone's eye? My own experience is the best way is for them to do it. But even if you do it, like you're not going to jam your finger in there and like dig it around to pull it out. Or let me ask you, how would you want someone to take a speck out of your eye? And I wonder, and I wonder this out of my pastoral experience. How many people who, know, who don't know Jesus, who are not Christians yet, actually know that there is something wrong with them? They know there's a speck in their eye. Their life isn't what they want it to be and they come to church looking for help and they find a bunch of Christians grinning with a big knife, aggressively ready to go, let me take that speck out from you. That's what I love about Jesus' teaching here. The only way you get out a speck speck from an eye is, is with gentleness, with patience, with great caution, So listen to how Paul Tripp encourages us to think about using truth in other people's lives. He writes, When we are being Christ-like, we will never use truth in ways that harm. Yes, there are strongholds of falsehood that need to be torn down, but always with the commitment to build a beautiful edifice of truth in its place. Sledgehammers that tear down may be exhilarating to use, but you would never want to live in a home that was only built with a sledgehammer. I don't want people just to bring a spiritual sledgehammer into my life. I want them to help me to become like Jesus. To build something better than what's in its place currently. And imagine a community like that where we're not just committed to tearing down what's broken in us, but but we will be there next to you helping you build something better in its place. So that's how we become a 
a non-judgmental community of forgiveness and generosity. And I, I want to be, be honest. The, the three points I gave you, the loving, tight-knit community, radical self-awareness, total commitment to our teacher, those were ripped from, uh, from addiction groups. That if you want to know why AA works, it's total surrender to a higher power, it's radical self-awareness, and it's a group of people surrounding you who are committed to your good and love. That's sort of what Jesus describes here for his community. And it's what we are to be for one another. So that's how. But again, why should we do that? It's kind of fun to judge people, if we're honest. So why shouldn't we judge people? Why should we be a non-judgmental community of forgiveness and generosity? And the answer is, it's verse 36 in Luke 6. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. How has God dealt with the speck or the log in your face? How has the Father treated you in Jesus Christ? Well, one, He put the judgment that you deserved onto His Son, Jesus, on the cross so that you could be set free. He didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn this world. John 3 makes this explicit. John 3.17 says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. The Father forgives. He offers us forgiveness through His Son, Jesus. And the Father has given us His own Son. And as Paul asks, if He has given us His own Son, what else will He give to us? The Father is a person who does not judge or condemn, but is a forgiving, gracious God. And so the only way to be a non-judgmental community of forgiveness is generosity is that we ourselves live in the mercy of God, where we pray our whole lives, along with the tax collector in one of Jesus' parables, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. That if we're a judgmental person, if I'm someone who's quick to condemn, who I can't forgive, can't live in generosity, if that's where you are this morning, what I'm not saying to you this morning is, is, Get it together and stop it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you're not living in the mercy of the Father. Because when I live in the mercy of the Father, two things happen to me. One, I see with clarity there is a log in my face. I am not like Jesus. I don't yet live with his kindness, his other-centered love, his mercy and generosity. I'm not a good person yet. I'm not who I should be. And that makes me far more concerned with what's wrong with me than what's wrong with anybody else around me. But the other thing that happens to me is I, I experience the mercy of the Father. He knows I'm not a good person. He knows I'm not the person He means for me to be yet. And so whatever you hear this morning, don't. this isn't a a judgmental message telling you to stop being judgmental. This is live in the mercy of the Father. If you struggle with judgmentalism and condemnation and a lack of generosity or forgiveness, your problem isn't to try harder. Your problem is you got to get back in the way of the mercy of the Father. And that's why Jesus came. That is why Jesus has offered to be my teacher, to both teach me and give me the power to become like him. Because a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained or she is fully trained, will be like his or her teacher. And Jesus invites you and invites me into that relationship. How non judgmental 
How generous. How merciful that God, through His Son Jesus, would extend that invitation to me. A man living with a log sticking out of my face. Let me pray for us. Father, to be the person Jesus desires us to be, we have to know the mercy of, of you, your, your merciful life. And so we now open up space through song, through communion in a few minutes to live into the mercy of the Father, your mercy. And so I pray, those of us, we maybe some of us, we're thinking about the log and what's wrong with us. Or maybe we kind of know we're, We've embraced some judgmental spirits and we, we, want to, we want to move on from those. I'm just great. I'm, I'm so grateful that the word Jesus gives to us is not just a word of critique or pointing out the speck in our eye, but he says, be merciful for your Father is merciful. So Jesus invites us into your mercy and we take up his invitation now by his name and through his blood we come to you and ask, have mercy on us, Father. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.